welcome back to another episode of the Sports Dorks Podcast. It is February 2nd, Groundhog Day. Groundhog did not see his shadow, and you know what that means. Six more years of transfer quarterbacks for the Bucks. Um, we've got a bit of a smaller group here today. we got Owen Murray, Joe Krasnowski, and Lily Crane, along with me to break down some of the winter sports that are happening, as well as some spring sports that are starting up here soon, starting with softball. Softball season starts very, very soon. Media day was yesterday. Joe and Lily were there. And what, what were some of the things talked about? What were some of the, the vibes from the team? What are some things that we can look forward to watching with this Oregon squad coming off such a successful season last year? Well, I think the main key for me was that this team is going to be unbelievably fast. We saw it all fall. I think it was the second words out of Stevie Hansen's mouth when asked about the identity of this team. Melissa Lombardi called this the fastest team she's ever coached. And what it looks like they'll be the fastest team in the Pac-12, so it'll be interesting to see how they, the speed really affects the game throughout. Like Brady said, this is a team that's coming off a successful season last spring, made it all the way to the Super Regional. This season, they lost a couple of really big key players in Ali Bunker and Tara McGowan. And so it's a little bit of a different team. Last season, their mantra was postseason mentality since day one. And this season, they're just building off that and looking to go further than they have ever gone before. Further than they've ever gone before would be great, but they're going to have a difficult road ahead of them because the Pac-12 this season is absolutely loaded. For a little bit of context, the Ducks are ranked number 13 in the nation to start the season in the preseason polls. Yet, in the Pac-12 preseason poll, the Ducks are fifth. 13th best in the country, fifth best in their own conference. Going to be a tough road, especially with some missing pieces. Do you think this team has rebuilded enough to be able to compete in such a conference? Or is it going to be, you got to win the ones that you can win and Uh, minimize tough weekends. Well, another thing kind of from that media day that we went to was that it's this weird kind of balance between veteran players. It's a very large senior class. Uh, Melissa Lombardi said that it's kind of a combination between uh, between two classes from when the COVID pandemic started. And so there's a lot of seniors, uh, fifth-year transfers, fifth-year players on this roster. And then there's also a lot of freshmen because after those players graduate, they're going to look to have a lot of new faces. And so it's there's six freshmen on this team and, yeah, a hefty senior class. So there is a heavy veteran play presence. Uh, a lot of the same faces from last season that will be heavily featured. And this was a team last season that, yes, it's a, a very good Pac-12 conference. Obviously, Stanford and UCLA, uh, lots of teams uh, always playing really well and at the top of the, of the rankings nationally. But this was an Oregon team last season, went on, I think it was a nine-game winning streak nine-plus game winning streak in Pac-12 play that it just got rolling. And even though there's they're missing Ali Bunker and Terry McGowan, it may not quite be that, but this is a team that's more than capable of going far within the Pac-12 conference. Well, they'll definitely have the star power. I feel like Kyla Shar, Georgia Tech transfer, uh, Emma Kauf, and Ariel Carlson, that lineup's going to be stacked. And it'll just be interesting to see how they compete in a really loaded Pac-12 conference. What was kind of the media day 
um, presence like? And, and what was the experience like being there as a couple student journalists? Were there a lot of outlets there, or were you kind of able to have more one-on-one conversations with some of these players and coaches? Like everyone was surprised because it was really sunny out yesterday, so we were all we were able to do all the interviews outside. So that was nice. There was actually a lot of people. It seems like there's going to be a really big buzz around this team going forward. I think this that run they went on last year is really going to propel them forward. It'll be curious to see if that run carries over to baseball, too. Baseball had a very similar run. Not a ton of buzz around the team until they have that run. It'll be curious to see if if that excitement carries over into PK Park as well. Softball is going to hit the ground running early. Going to be able to see if the star power is legit. I mean, the NFCA leadoff classic taking place in Clearwater, Florida. And Oregon's got quite the list of opponents. I mean, Power 5 Indiana on February 8th. Power 5 Kansas on February 9th. You got Liberty also on February 9th. Missouri State February 10th. Number 5 Clemson also on February 10th. And Army on February 11th. That's quite a few games in not a lot of days. Um, and it's going to be a test for Oregon pitching to see where pitching's at and see if this team's going to be able to be as fast as we think it's going to be um, against some high-quality teams. And those games will, I believe, be the first softball games that are featured on the MLB network. So lots of good exposure for Oregon softball there, too. It's incredible. Huge moment, for sure. Flipping over to the other diamond sport, baseball is also getting started soon with a tournament um, on the road. We'll be down in Arlington, Texas at the Shriners Children's College Showdown, presented by Kubota. And there's some powerhouse baseball squads there, too. And Oregon will be running into three of them. Going to play Oklahoma and then Baylor and then number 18, Texas Tech at Globe Life Field, of course, home of defending champion Texas Rangers. Maybe some of that luck. Wear off on the, on Oregon. We can bring it back to the West Coast and run the Pac-12, which should be a talented conference. Not quite to the extent that softball is, but maybe another winnable one if the team get hot in Scottsdale like they did. Other other sports happening right now. We got tennis. Um, both men's and women's teams started off the tennis season with home stands that they were successful in. It started undefeated after those home stands, then went to the ITA um, national tournaments and didn't go too well. Both teams 0 and 2. Trying to bounce back off some losses this weekend. One of our riders, Ruby, is at a women's tennis match right now here in Eugene, whereas men's is on the road, I believe, in the Midwest. Um, tennis trying to regain some footing, figure out its identity here early in the season before we get into conference play in what is, again, going to be a loaded Pac-12 conference. West Coast tennis. Who would have thought? Getting into Acro. Acro starting up here soon. Ranked number, number two in the nation, including three first-place votes. That season starting super soon. And acro is not a sport that's fairly common at the college level. Um, I think there's only a handful of D1 schools and then some D2s and D3s, and they all play each other. There's a lot of a lot of cross within that. Um, how exciting is it as student journalists to be able to cover a, a team that's going to be very good, but also in a sport that doesn't get a lot of coverage? I mean, I think the really cool thing, when either you're covering minor league sports or just underrepresented sports like this is that everybody's really excited to talk to you. You get some of just some great stories out of these people that maybe you're not going to get out of people who they're a D1, maybe football or baseball or basketball. And and they talk about this all the time, but these are people who, you know, they don't always talk to reporters and they don't always talk to journalists and get stories written about them. So I think really when you cover these sports, you, you get stories out of them that you wouldn't get out of other sports. And that's really cool. Yeah, Acro starting up soon. Definitely gonna have some coverage with that. It's and that'll be a fun one to cover because it, covering sports like that is just a great opportunity for student journalists too. A, you get to learn a new sport, which can be incredible. B, you get more exposure to these athletes. You get 
a chance to talk to them, build your own like interviewing skills and tell these stories that otherwise aren't being overly represented. But that's coming up in the future right now. We've got two teams in the middle of their seasons, women's basketball, men's basketball, kind of the story of two different seasons. We'll start with the women's team right now, 11 and 11, two and seven in conference play. This has not been going well. And it, you got to look ahead at what's coming left. It's not getting a whole lot easier. I mean, there's six ranked games remaining on the duck schedule, including five in a row, but four of them are home games. Is there another win on the Ducks schedule this year? I think there's definitely going to be one more win. Question if it will be more than that. You mentioned the Cal home game. Good opportunity for this team to win. Uh, when they played at Cal uh, earlier in the season, that was kind of a game that got away from them, that they were a little disappointed in the outcome. I also think that going to Pullman and playing Washington State is another prime opportunity to get a win because the Cougars did just have a key injury by two one of its star players, unfortunately an ACL injury to Ledger Walker, who will be out the rest of the season. Potentially the Ducks could get a steal there in Pullman. Potentially, but the Washington schools for women's basketball are always, always solid. Tough road games, looking ahead. But is we, we talk a lot about Oregon athletics, and especially in football, we've talked about, oh, the trap game, the idea of a trap game. Not necessarily against, a trap game isn't one against a ranked opponent. It's one that everyone's expecting you to win. So it just makes sense that you lose it. Like Stanford on the road, Cal at home, those are your trap games. Is if Oregon's not good enough to be one of these top teams in the conference this year, no one's predicting Oregon to win the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas. Like, they're not really in contention this year. Is Oregon good enough to be considered a trap game and maybe win one of these ranked games, maybe get after one of these ranked teams? Or is this just kind of circle the win on your schedule and move on? Well, we saw it this weekend. They were able to compete with through parts of the game, almost came back against Utah, and then obviously cut the lead against Colorado. If they're able to start a game well... The team is definitely talented enough to compete with these higher-ranked schools, so it's all about how they started and if they're able to keep up with some of the intensity that they're able to showcase later on. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about this a little bit just around basketball with uh, through the year, but the atmosphere in Matthew Knight Arena, especially for these women, then, is ju it's just not it. We can't get people into Matthew Knight Arena f like for these games, and I think that's something that really plays against them. It doesn't get quite as loud in there as maybe it does for some of these big games when they're really competing against teams. And, that, and I think that's a huge factor for, especially if you got a ranked team going on the road. If you're going to a place that's tough to play, it, you know, team starts to build a run, it's going to be tougher to stop them and, you know, flip the momentum back again versus if, if you can't get the crowd going. I think in any other conference, this would be an Oregon women's basketball team that would be seen as a trap game. But with the strength of the Pac-12, especially considering, like you mentioned, Brady, that a lot of these last games are against ranked opponents, I think it's going to be a lot tougher for this team to get a win, especially uh, if it struggles to find scoring outside of its big three. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And Joe, you mentioned that they made the games against Utah and Colorado close, but I being at those games, I'm not sure how much of that was Oregon success compared to Ute or Buffalo failures. I mean, the first half against Utah, Oregon had a lead. It didn't look very good. Utah was just missing shots. 
And I mean, Utah was taking wide open shots again and again, and they just weren't falling. And it was one of those, you're like, if these shots start to hit, this game's going to go south pretty quickly. And then and that's exactly what happened. And in the Colorado game, it was kind of the opposite, right? Colorado came out shooting the lights out. And, and I mean, Colorado had more offensive rebounds than Oregon had points at the end of the first half. In, in the second half, Colorado was still moving the ball very well, taking open shots, just not hitting as much of them. So I, I don't, I didn't see it as much as what Oregon was doing right. It was more just what these other teams were doing wrong. Now, but basketball is a fluky, fluky game. Any team can be can wake up and just have a really good day where everything falls, and everything and every team can have a day where just there's a there's a lid on the rim. Um, that being said, I don't see Oregon as necessarily a trap opponent. This isn't a team that a lot of people are afraid to play right now. But if the big three get hot, maybe they can have a chance. Those big three, they've been the bulk of the offense this year. Lapina Shea, Grace Van Sluten, and Chance Gray make up 67% of the team's scoring this season between three players. I mean, we mentioned the stat last time we were on here, and I think it still holds. Outside of Oregon's big three, the team has one double-digit performance in conference play this year. You lock up those three, you got a really good chance of winning the game. But can Kelly Graves lock up those three? Or should we be concerned about some of these players maybe leaving from the end of this year, entering that transfer portal, if Oregon isn't that destination where the teams can, can see players can thrive anymore? I'd definitely be worried if I'm Kelly Graves. I mean, we saw it last year with Indy Rogers and Zena Pow Pow. Those players left, and the depth just hasn't been there this year. Winning games just hasn't been there this year. And obviously they're successful, but um, Rogers and Pow Pow have been successful in other places. I don't know, I don't know what the big three would see that might keep them at Oregon. I talked about it a little bit uh, in a recent article I wrote about Kelly Graves, and, and history has shown that players, after the first couple seasons uh, in these recent years, have kind of just left Oregon because they will have a better opportunity to win elsewhere. And so there definitely should be some worry because that's what's happened very recently. I don't expect all three of them to leave, which is a hopeful thing, but there's there's a good chance that we could see one of them go elsewhere. Now, and then that's going to matter come next year because Oregon basketball, just like all these other sports, switching conferences next year. But I want to talk about, does, does the road next year playing in the Big Ten get easier or harder. There are less Big Ten teams in the current rankings, but is the conference as a stronghold, strong as a whole, stronger? Is it just a super? Is the Pac-12 just super top heavy? Is the Big Ten more balanced, or is Oregon truly gonna have an easier path next year in Big Ten women's basketball? I think the Ducks do lose top of the conference team, and Stanford will no longer be in its conference. And Cal is is good. Cal's good half, enough to beat half, you. Yeah, half the, half the season's Cal is a really good team. Same thing with Oregon State. Washington State's been good lately. So there are some teams that are very strong that it's leaving behind. I don't necessarily think that the Big Ten will be harder, but it definitely won't be easier. And I would say it is a more balanced conference. I think you'll still keep... UCLA and USC, very strong teams, especially recently in this season. And then Michigan State is usually pretty good and in contention for an NCAA tournament spot. There's 
plenty of strong schools in women's basketball in that conference. Ohio State is very good. So it won't get any easier, maybe not a whole lot harder. And so this is a team that maybe can get Lauren some new recruits that are going to be good and hopefully retain that big three and maybe it can make some waves in the new conference. Uh, it, it, it appears that both the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to have significant presence come this year's basketball tournaments, at least on, on the women's side. And I, I wanted to ask you guys a little bit about, about the, the, your philosophies when you're watching um, these tournaments. Um, I mean, Lily, you grew up in Oregon, Owen, Seattle, Seattle area, Joe from California, I'm from Colorado. We're all from the Pac-12 area. And so, yes, we're student journalists, but we also grew up rooting for some of these teams. We grew up as fans. When you're watching the, these tournaments and like this postseason play, do you have the back the pack method? Are you can you support Utah in a random tournament game, or is it if it's not Oregon, it's a conference opponent they got to go down? I say no. I, I I struggle to support teams that like you so often call them rivals, but I can't turn around and call them a friend, right? I. I think the biggest thing that kind of defines how I root in these tournaments, if, you know, my team isn't in it, is, you know, the, the bracket culture and, hey, I'm rooting for this game because that'll make my bracket, you know, winning brackets in, you know, middle school is the greatest feeling ever because of the coolest kid in school. For fantasy football. Um, but kind of this, we talked about a little bit with, you know, when Washington was going to the college football playoff and can you turn around and root for them as an Oregon fan? I wavered towards no because... You know, Oregon spent so much of the season in a battle with this team. And there's mutual respect, obviously, but I, I can't sit there and say, hey, I want them to succeed. It's like saying I want my team's biggest rival to win the tournament. Does that apply to the entire conference, though? I mean, when it comes to Oregon-Washington, that that's, that's a pretty sore subject. I mean, that is a big rival, but does it matter if it's Arizona State in the tournament? Does it matter if it's Colorado? Does it matter if it's Utah? I mean, I, I grew up a Colorado fan. I'll, I'll cheer for the Buffs against any team but the Ducks. And, um, and I, I don't mind the back-to-pack method in basketball, especially because you look at the RPIs and, like, strength of schedule matters, strength of opponents matters. Like, for Oregon to have the best chance at making some of these tournaments, it's best that they beat these Pac-12 schools, but then the Pac-12 schools go win every other game they play. And it's, it's, it's a weird philosophy, but I find myself outside of, like, three schools come March. I, I, can, I can't get behind USC, Washington, or Oregon State. But outside of those three schools... I find myself kind of like, you know what? Yeah, like back the pack. And I think covering these teams, you get to know some of these opponents too. You get to see some of these players. Like, the, oh, we get to watch Love play? Like, okay, great. He he, he torched Oregon, yeah, but like, cool. let's go watch him torch Beth and Cookman or whoever they run into in, in, <laughs> in the tournament. But I, I don't know. Lily Kreis, are you, are you able to root like back the pack as a conference or is it my team ride or die? Yeah, kind of, kind of what you said with Caleb Love. Like, that would be cool. Like, see, I want to see how far Arizona can get. Like, that is a really good team. They're ranked top 10 in the nation. I think it'll be cool to see if they can actually compete for the national championship. So, obviously, you don't like it when Oregon's playing that. Them, but I think it's interesting just to see, like, you get to know players, and you get to know, like, the way they play. And I think it's cool to see them and almost root for them going forward when they reach the national championship. I think it's interesting because I didn't really grow up watching NCAA football. So now I'm like in in the college mm. football playoffs, I'm like, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't root for another Pac twelve school. But I did grow up watching Pac twelve men's and women's basketball and 
filling out brackets, watching the NCAA tournament every year. And so I, I do kind of have a different approach for basketball where I am very uh, kind of back the pack that I, I, I do like seeing other teams if it's not going to be Oregon. I, I, I would like to see other teams win and, and have success and, you know, kind of in awe of kind of some of the other coaches and the other success that these powerhouses like Stanford and Tara Vanderveer have built in this conference and – I think it, it reflects well on the competition that Oregon plays. I think the back the pack method can be a lot of fun. And but I, I, you mentioned like you, you didn't so much care for football and it's kind of different come basketball. And I agree with that. But I've also noticed that my interest in other teams wavers in different sports. And maybe you, you guys have noticed this too. Like growing up as a Colorado fan, we hated Nebraska football, hated the Cornhuskers, but have tremendous respect for their volleyball team and like the kind of stuff they've been doing. Like they had 90 some thousand people at a volleyball game. Like I can root for Nebraska volleyball. It's just the football team. And I, I just, I think it's interesting how some of those, how your, your fandom can waver a little bit from sport to sport. And then also from tournament to tournament, but switching over from the men's, the women's team and to talk a little bit more on the men's team, 15 and six right now, seven and three in conference play coming off a big win at USC last night. Now, USC is not a ranked opponent. It's not a team that's really competing. It's not in the. It's not a leader for Pac-12 considerations. But that's just a quality road win against a team that, if you're gonna make the March Madness tournament or have a deep run in Vegas, it's a game you need to be able to win. So, was this was this a tide turner of of sorts? Because Oregon came into that game having lost three of its last four. How big of a win was that, or how big of a win would it be on Sunday if Oregon can complete the Los Angeles sweep by knocking off the Bruins? I think the most important thing for Oregon going into this game was to really get some of their players individually turned around. There have been a lot of players on streaks that maybe they weren't playing the best. They started the season while Jackson Shell's dad. Um, they lost Keyshawn Bartholomew. Dante is still working his way back, and really getting those players back in the swing of things was really the main goal for this road trip because if you don't have those guys firing, it, it, it's not going to happen for you. And so Jackson Jailstead played really well. He had 10 points, I think, in the first two and a half minutes of this game and led all scorers. That's something he hasn't done for a minute since Dante's come back and Jackson hasn't been the guy for the team. Dante really wasn't that influential last night. He, he wasn't scoring in the paint. Laz wrote a great piece about it. And really, Oregon's small ball came back the way that, you know, Dante was on the floor, but it really wasn't, it, it was a lot closer to the way they played in, you know, those games like Washington. Um, and so I think it is a tie turner, but maybe not for the entire team as much as it is for some of these individual players turning their narrative around. And you mentioned turn on the, the narrative, and one of the narratives of the season, at least recently, was that Oregon had kind of gone cold for a little bit. Jackson Shellstad hasn't been hadn't been playing his best, but then he turned around last night, and they found success. So, would you say how much of, of Oregon's game relies on Jackson Shellstad? Is it more than Dante? Does Shellstad matter more than a fully healthy Dante? Like which one? Which player would you say if this guy's hot, Oregon has the best chance of winning? I think I would say that Dante is still the MVP of this team, but I think Jackson Shellstad is the X factor. Mm. And I I think we've kind of seen that lately. I mean, they were able to win without Dante when he was out earlier in the season. And then 
came back and Shellstad's kind of rhythm got off, kind of learning how to play with him, and they didn't play as well as a team. So I think if Shellstad can find a way to impact the game, it doesn't necessarily have to be scoring, but if he can rack up some assists um, and kind of figure out what kind of role he's going to have on the floor as Dante, I think that is the key for this team to find success. Yeah, I think it's Shellstad, I think. Obviously, Dante, as physical as he is, he's going to be able to get his. He's going to be able to get a bucket, and when you need him to, he'll be able to score. But I feel like Shellstad just opens up so much else for Oregon on the court. He scored a ton of points early in the first half yesterday and then kind of cooled off, but he was able to open up, you know, another Quendo or Kuznar and being able to distribute better from the point guard position is really huge for Oregon's success, especially on the road. I was super impressed by Cardo Quendo, too, last night. It was his, his first ever start as a duck, and he, he really kind of played in a way that you know, made it tough on both ends of the floor. And that's something, you know, Oregon hasn't, you know, not all of those players. Shellstead, too, has, his defense has been something we've talked about. is a little bit of a struggle, and that's something that Keyshawn Bartholomew really gave this team, but now that he's out, it's something that Shellstead's going to have to do. But Aquendo was fantastic on both ends. He was constantly up and down. Yeah, I, yeah I, I completely agree. I mean, Dante, Dante, Dante matters. Dante being healthy, being on the floor, like, there's no doubt about that. But you look at the games where Shellstad's hot and the games when he's not, and it's two completely different Oregon teams. Yeah, I mean, obviously Dante being on the floor matters, and, and no one's going to tell you that he doesn't. He's a crucial player for this team. But I think the games when you look at when Shellstad's hot versus when he's not, it's two completely different Oregon squads. But I, w- I want to circle back to something that we were talking about last time we were in here talking on this podcast. We were like, you know, Oregon has a good record, but like not a whole lot of quality wins on the on the schedule. And but we were saying that this this weekend against Arizona and Arizona State at home was going to be a good test to see exactly how legit this team is. And that Arizona game really didn't go that well. I think watching that, the score was a lot closer than that game really was. How much do you buy into Oregon after a loss like that? Oregon's now 0-2 against ranked teams this year. Is it is this team like good enough to beat every team on its schedule, or is it pretty hit or miss as the weeks come in and out? Yeah, Oregon got ran out of the gym by Arizona, and it really wasn't that close, like you said, with the score. Uh, obviously, Oregon's whole thing is they've been able to win at home, and then five of their six losses have come on the road. They got beat at home, and it really just wasn't a good game by any stretch. It's It kind of shows the disparity in the pack with it not being the strongest for men's basketball. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in Vegas when a lot of these teams end up facing off. Like, who can get hot? There could be a lot of disparity there. But Arizona, that team's really talented. Caleb Love, there's no one really quite like him. And so that, that's something that I, want to, that I want to bring up after that Arizona. Like you said, they ran him out of the gym. So I think it is a f- safe assumption to say that Arizona beats Oregon on any court they play on. In Eugene, down in Tucson, or in the Pac-12 Championship. Any court favors the Wildcats. So how important is it for Oregon to finish as the two or the three seed and get that two or three seed in Vegas so that you can avoid avoid Arizona for as long as you can? Is that is when Oregon plays there runs into Arizona in the Pac-12 championship going to make or break this team's tournament hope? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we talked it, it's a, a very condensed version of a season is what this tournament is. And we've talked football and basketball about the importance of when you lose your games. You need to get these wins. We, football, we said, it's okay to lose that Washington game early. You have time to build back. Here in the Pac-12 tournament, it, you, you have to get these quality wins in first because this is your chance to really 
you prove yourself. You, you can say, hey, we lost Arizona earlier, we lost Colorado, we lost Utah. We're hot now at the right time. But if, if you, you know, draw Arizona really early, you don't have the chance to show that at all. Yeah, I think without a plethora of ranked opponents left, Oregon's strength of schedule come the end of the season when it comes time to put it, figure out a bracket, I'm not sure Oregon's going to have that that resume. And like you said, a first or second round loss to Arizona is going to pretty much sink the Ducks. Whereas if you lose to Arizona, but it's in the semifinals or even the Pac-12 championship, you might still be able to sneak in the tournament late, which as we've talked about all year, needs to be the goal of this team. Just get back on the map, just clearly take a step in the right direction, make the tournament. Now, Oregon looks like a favorite in most of its games on the remaining schedule. There's only two games that Oregon's projected to lose, according to ESPN's um, little circle wheel that I love so much. And that is at Stanford and then having to play at Arizona later in this year. There's quite a few games left on the schedule, and so I'm going to flip it from earlier where we said Oregon women's basketball probably not good enough to be a trap game. What is the biggest trap game you see left on Oregon men's basketball's schedule? Where, where is this team most susceptible to a potential, like, what just happened loss? I watched that Washington State game when, you know, coming off the back of a Washington game that was actually really close. And so Miles Rice, fantastic story, is a very, very good player. And I think that they have the potential to come into Eugene and just get put enough runs together and keep Oregon off the board long enough that... You know, they could sneak a win. It's not going to be a blowout, but they could limit Oregon enough. And if Jackson Shellstad has a bad night, if Dante has a bad night, that that could be the game they draw. What about this game coming up against UCLA? UCLA's won four out of five. And Adem Bono was really able to, he was able to control most of the game that first time they met in Eugene. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Oregon's able to adjust. Dylan, Dylan Andrews, their point guard, has really been successful of late. He's getting a lot of confidence. And Oregon has struggled to guard, uh, to defend, you know, on the perimeter. So it'll be a good test to see how the Ducks are able to uh, adjust. Yeah, I agree. I think the UCLA game will be tough. I think it will also be tough going to Corvallis. I think that could be a potential trap game because not the best Oregon State team this season. I mean, the record is 11-10, and 10, but... It, it's upset some teams in the Pac-12 season, including a recent win against Arizona in Corvallis. So that's one I have my eyes on. Yeah, I, th- I think to your point on UCLA, I mean, it, yeah, it, maybe it's a down year for UCLA, but it's still a blue blood. It's still a good basketball school and a program that knows how to win big games and how to screw up someone else's season. Lily, you stole mine. I think, I think that game at Corvallis is, is a real trap game. Um, Oregon's, according to the FBI, is heavily favored to win it. But, I mean, this is a place that that Arizona team that we've been so high on today couldn't find success in. And for Oregon, that, that that's a game that you can always lose because rivalry games are just always a little bit different. The other one that came to mind was the Colorado game in Eugene. I mean, Colorado is a very good basketball team this year. But I, I hesitate to call that one a trap game because Colorado is legit. Um, but that's one that I'm not going to be surprised to see the black and gold beat out the green and yellow. Um, I'm kind of jumping ahead. What What's the, as the season as a whole, what's it been like covering this team where there are so many storylines where the goal has been clear from the start, the expectations have been clear, but it's kind of been a revolving door with injuries. What's that been like? as journalists kind of 
switching, kind of seeing, okay, what's the storyline of this team this week? There's just been a bunch of different elements to this team. First, you have Dante and Biddle's injuries early. And you see, you're able to see how they adjust in non-conference and the start of conference play. And then they get really hot. And then they kind of teeter off a bit of late. So it's been really interesting to see. And it feels like every game really matters. This UCLA game matters because you need quality wins on the road to boost your resume. And it's super, it's super like interesting and awesome just to be able to see that every game matters. The urgency to win is as high as ever in a super in a competitive conference and a competitive team. For me, I think what's been fun is the hype around this team. I feel like there hasn't been quite as much excitement from the fans and from the Oregon faithful in the past couple seasons, but this season just feels a little bit different. I haven't covered too many of games of the men's team, but a couple that I uh, was at was the Michigan game in non-conference with the big, you know, overtime win, Jackson Shellstad from the logo. Uh, And then also I I went to the USC game as a fan and then then wrote a piece on that about the fan experience and just there's been excitement surrounding this team and those big games has have had some pretty hefty uh, crowds, so I think that's been that's been nice to see compared to previous seasons uh, where they struggled to get uh, people in the seats. Absolutely, and Brady, like you mentioned, I'm from Seattle, where basketball is a little bit of a sore subject. Um, so I didn't I didn't grow up watching super too much. Soft, <laughs> super sore subject. Yeah. Hey. So I didn't I didn't grow up watching too much basketball. This is the first like full basketball season I've watched. I you know I watch an NBA game or you know a Huskies game or something every now and then, or a Storm game. Those are fun, but just really being able to kind of see how a season develops in in basketball, which is so different to you know football or soccer, which I I've seen for so long. It, it's really been interesting, kind of like finding the stories and hey, yes we have time, but but we really need to win this game early in the season. I like what you said, Lily, a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz, but there's also a sense with the fans of like, okay, now do something. You've escaped Will Richardson purgatory. <laughs> See what this team can do. Like we, The goal is clear. It's an, It's been an expectation from the coaches, the team, but also the fan base. This team needs to get back on the map. They need to do it. And the path is there for Oregon men's basketball, but it's pretty clear what needs to be done. Got to win a lot of these tougher games coming up. Uh, that concludes today's Sports Dorks podcast. We'll be back in a couple more weeks with some updates on just what happened with these men's and women's basketball teams as well as some diamond sports. So thanks for joining us.